God be all the praise and God be all the glory for this is the day that the Lord has made and you and I ought to rejoice and be glad in it. Come on and give God praise in this place. Uh, come on, you can do better than that. Give God praise in this place. We praise and we bless the name of our God. Do you open your Bibles today to the book of Ephesians as we will resume the sermon series, The Disciples' Victory. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, will constitute our place and premise for teaching today. Ephesians 6, verse 14, the A clause. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Stand therefore, having fastened on belt of truth. As the Spirit of God, we rent guidance and grace. Today, I want to talk and teach from this simple thought and theme, the disciples victory, the belt of truth. You may claim your seats in the presence of our God. Would you posture with me for a period of prayer? Oh God, our God, we honor you, we praise you, and we magnify you. We thank you for your presence in this place. And we pray, Father, that all that has been said and done has been pleasing in your sight and that our worship and praise is acceptable to thee. And now, Father, we come to this sacred moment of sharing and teaching your words. So to that end, now I ask of you that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds through the power of your spirit. May our ears and hearts be attentive and attuned to hearing what your spirit has to say unto the church. Most importantly, may we be present where we are, arrest our thoughts and our minds as we now focus upon your sacred word. Every care, every concern of life and of living that seeks to preoccupy our attention at this moment, we come against it now. We thank you that your word is blessed and is powerful and it shall go forth and it shall not return void, but rather it will accomplish all of those things in which you have ordained for it to accomplish. And to that end, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the past few weeks, we've been dealing with the topic and the theme, the disciples' victory. And to that end, we've identified the reality that we, you and I, as children of God, as believers, we're in a fight, we're in a battle, we're in a war. The fight, the battle, the war that we're in is one that is engaged every day of our lives. We find ourselves constantly in the heat of battle. We're not, not only in a fight, we're not only in a war, but furthermore, we also recognize that there is an enemy that comes against us. The enemy that comes against us is Satan himself. Scripture is clear that we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but we're fighting against powers and principalities. We're fighting against the ruler of wickedness that is even residing in high places, says Paul. He says we're not just in a fight. We're not just fighting against an enemy, Satan to be exact. But he also says that you and I have the resources whereby we're able to be victorious. And he says, and we're victorious only to the degree that we put on the whole armor of God. Paul says, in other words, you cannot be partly dressed and expect to be victorious. But if you're going to be victorious, you have to put on the armor of God in its entirety. 
And then he begins to itemize out the various elements of the armor of God, not in the order as is seen in the text, but we must put on the helmet of salvation as it is designed to protect our minds in that we recognize that one of the greatest battlefields in life lies between the ears, is how we think. He says, not only must you and I put on the helmet of salvation, but we must also put upon us the breastplate of righteousness as it is designed to protect our hearts, in that it is within the heart that Satan oftentimes seeks to place guilt, shame, and condemnation, and the only way in which we can protect our hearts from such is by having it covered with righteousness, put on the breastplate of righteousness, put on the helmet of salvation. He says, but also take with you, here it is, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is the primary offensive weapon that we have in fighting against the enemy. We use the word of God and the various promises that are found within scripture as a means, as a method whereby we defend ourselves when Satan shows up to tempt us. As is illustrated in the life of Christ there in Matthew chapter 4, as he was led of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and each and every time the devil came to tempt him, he responded by saying, it is written. He used the offensive weapon, namely the word of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He also says, but take with you the shield of faith, as the shield of faith is designed to protect us from the fiery darts that the enemy will shoot towards us. And then he says, beyond all of that, make sure that your feet are well covered as they are now used to go and share the gospel. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel, a sense of readiness and preparedness in sharing the gospel. And now we come to this additional element of the armor of God, which is the belt of truth. Let the church say the belt of truth. The amplified version of this said verse, Ephesians 6, verse 14, it reads, Stand firm, hold your ground, having tightened on the belt of truth around your loins. The new living translation, stand your ground, put on the sturdy belt of truth. The messenger by Eugene Peterson, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth, or the girding of one's loins, was associated in Hebrew and Greek thinking with the idea of readiness or preparedness. A Roman soldier would never leave his garments blowing in the wind. He would tuck them within his belt, pulling the garments through the belt so that he was ready for movement. This speaks of readiness in the contents of a battle. The belt was the very first piece that was placed on a soldier. It was the central part of the armor. It was a personal part of the soldier's armor as well, as it would be the place in which he would place his money. And there would also be a slot through which he would place, place the sword. It was not only central, it was not only personal, but it was also essential. In that the belt was also place in which the breastplate was fastened. In the front and in the rear, loops were on the belt that would attach, be attached to the breastplate to keep it in place. Paul says, whatever you do, take with you, here it is, the belt of truth, 
And it is to be placed where, church? Around your loins. The midsection, that is. Midsection. He says, make sure, here it is, you place the belt of truth, here it is, around your core. My brother Cardell, who happens to be a national power lifter, I don't quite understand the sport, but nonetheless, to each his own, spoke with him. I said, man, explain to me this whole concept about core training. I noticed, of course, a whole lot of commercials come on late in the evening, different types of machinery and different types of exercise equipment is being sold all under skies that it will help you develop your core. My brother shared with me, he says, listen, man, that even in deadlifting and powerlifting, you can have big arms, you can bench press a whole lot, but if your core isn't tight, I don't care how big your arms are, if, you, if your core isn't healthy, if your core isn't solid, it's not too much you can really do in deadlift. And I thought about it. Paul is perhaps sharing with us, make sure that your core is tight. Have your loins, your core. Here it is, girded about with truth. He says, because you will not be able to win this battle if you don't have your belt on. And if that belt is not buckled and if that belt is not tight and that belt is defined as, here it is, the belt of truth. Well, now that begs the question, well, what is truth? Because truth, of course, is relative. As we live and exist in what is known as a postmodern culture where truth is no longer viewed to be absolute, but rather truth is based upon one's personal viewpoint. The real question that is before us, well, what is truth? Because even now society has what is known as my truth, whereby truth is defined from your personal perspective. But can I submit and suggest to you a working definition of truth? Here it is. Truth is, by definition, it is an objective standard by which we measure the reality of something. It is an objective standard, an objective standard by which we measure the reality of something. Would you state that after me? An objective standard by which we measure the standard of something. Here it is, here it is. Truth does not change based upon culture. Truth is not based upon our feelings. Yes, your feelings may be legitimate, Yes, your feelings may be real, but at the end of the day, your feelings is not the final judgment. Truth, here it is, is a fit standard to which all things must conform. Truth, 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 truth. Truth is the point of reference whereby we judge definitively the realities of life, truth, truth, truth. Truth is never based upon your personal viewpoint. No, no, no. Truth is always based upon God's viewpoint. That we look at life and determine truth, here it is, from God's perspective. Because, here it is, your theory of truth at best is an opinion. 
It's, it's an opinion, and everyone has one. And I, I know you're smart. I know you're degreed and all that, all that wonderful stuff. But at the end of the day, you nor me, nor anyone for that matter, defines what is truth. Truth, again, is an objective standard whereby we're able to measure the reality of something. And so with that in mind, where then can we find truth? Where does truth reside? A, truth resides in the sovereign, in God himself. In the search of truth, that search begins and ends with God. Because he is the one who defines what truth is. Let me give you scripture for that. Deuteronomy 32, verse number 4, speaking of God, it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all of his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. Here is what Moses is saying. God, identity, is that he's just, he's upright, he's always fair. There's absolutely no iniquity in him whatsoever. God is faithful. Matter of fact, everything that God does is perfect. His works is not deficient, not inadequate, but his works are perfect. Even Isaiah 65, verse 16, speaking of God, says, So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. God, here it is. It's a source of truth. So truth originates in God. Not within man, but God. Here it is. It's the source of truth. Truth resides in the sovereign. But truth not only resides in the sovereign, but here it is. Truth is revealed in the Savior. That Jesus Christ is truth incarnated. He is truth personified. He is the embodiment of truth. The believer accepts truth or the revelation and is now dwelled by the risen Lord who himself is truth. Scripture speaks of that. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse number 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelled among us and tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as the only Son from the Father, here it is, and Jesus is defined as being full of grace and full of what else, church? Truth. John 1, verse 17, the prologue, it reads, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, well, better yet, let me speak for myself. I appreciate what John has testified, but let me give my own personal testimony of who I am. In one of the great I am declaration of Christ in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus says in this self-disclosing statement, he says, I am the way, I am definite article, the truth, not a truth, the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the Father except they come by me. Jesus says that when you seek out a standard for truth, whereby you're able to evaluate life, you find it, first of all, residing in the sovereign, but is also reflected in me, the Savior. Truth resides in the sovereign. It's reflected. Here it is. 
are revealed in the Savior, but then C, it is recorded in the Scriptures. Preach, Oliver, I'm trying. He says, the Bible that you hold, the Bible that you read, the Bible that you study, is the sacred document that here it is, houses God's truth. That when you read the Word of God, the Word of God provides for us the heart of God, the mind of God, we understand the will of God. Here it is. It records for us truth. Scripture speaks of itself in 2 Samuel 7, verse 28. It says, and now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Even Jesus, speaking of the word himself, says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And so the point is simply this, brothers and sisters, that as you, you and I study the Bible, we then seek out what is truth, as truth is recorded in the scriptures. It is the foundation, it is the non-negotiable doctrines that secures us against heresy, false doctrine, corrupt teachings. It protects us against harmful and even beyond that hurtful imbalances as we base our lives upon the final authority of God's word. His word guards us. His word governs us. His word, here it is, guides us. Because his word is the sacred document of truth. It is not what the Supreme Court says. Because what God stated in his word is the same. Here it is, from Genesis to Revelation, and there is no truth in God's word that has an expiration date. Case in point, what God stated in his word regarding marriage, which is the institution that he created, it is designed for a man and for a woman to be together in the contents of marriage and regardless of what the Supreme Court says, his word defines what is truth. His word, his word, his word, not your opinion. I, I, I don't care what the majority is saying. At the end of the day, his word is the final source of truth and the Bible becomes, here it is, the final authority for faith and practice. It guards us, it guides us. His word governs us. Truth, here it is, resides in the sovereign. Truth is revealed in the Savior. Truth is recorded in the scripture and thus truth ought to be reflected in the saints. <laughs> oh, you ain't ready. Here it is. If it resides in the Father and he's our Father and by, by, by association and relationship, we then are his children, it then implies that we ought to reflect the behavior and the character of our daddy. So if he is a God of truth, that implies that we ought to live a life of truth. It, it ought to be reflected in how we live, how we walk, how we talk, how we conduct ourselves. And so one of the primary ways whereby you can identify whether or not a person is truthful or not, can I tell you a real quick way? Listen to them. The mouth will always tell the story. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Let me show it to you in Scripture. It's a redundant uh, piece in Scripture. Look at uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 19. It says, truthful lips 
endure forever. But a liar with lying lips is but for a moment. Oh, truth would outlast a lie any day of the week. He says, here it is, here it is, here it is. Here's another verse, here's another verse. Here's, 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 a, here's, here's a singer, here it is. Zechariah 8, 16, here it is. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth, speak, speak the truth. Speak, speak the truth. <laughs> speak the truth to one another. Render at your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. It says when you make decisions, if you're in a position and a capacity whereby you have to make decisions, make sure that your decisions are true and it leads or facilitates towards peace. Do not devise evil in your heart against one another and love no false oath for all these things God says I hate. God, God says, here's what God says. God says, if it's one thing I, I dislike, I disdain. God says, if it's one thing I hate, well, I hate a liar. So God, God, I'm with God on that. Ain't nothing more irritating than a liar. I mean, just, I mean, just, just be 100. I mean, for real, just... If you're going to do it, go on and do it. If you ain't, I ain't doing it. I'm going to just be 100 with you. Are you going to show up? Probably not. Can I count on you to do that? Probably shouldn't. <laughs> I mean, just, just be 100. Because here, here it is at the end of the day, I have not set up any false expectations. Because false expectation always leads to disappointment. And you can always tell the truthfulness about a person by just listening to them. The mouth will always tell on a liar. Some of you sitting here saying, child, I'm going to just keep quiet now. I'm just going to. God says, God says, I just really dislike a liar. Because you're lying, here it is, is in contrast to my nature. Watch this here. And I'm a God of truth. And there is another father, and he's the father of lies. So he says, when you walk around lying all day, you're not acting like you want to match it. You, you ain't acting like you belong to me because I'm the father of truth. You're acting just like a hellion. That's what grandmama used to call him. Remember your grandmama, little hellion? <laughs> acting like the devil. Truth, truth, truth. Here it is, here it is. Let me give you one last verse and I'm finished with it. Here it is. Not quite, not quite, I'm not. Got to be careful what I say, because that was almost a lie. That was almost a lie. <laughs> that was almost a lie. Here it is. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Now, can I tell you the truth about truth and why it's so hard sometimes to tell the truth? Let me tell you the truth about truth. The truth about truth is that truth hurts. <laughs> it's painful. But wouldn't you prefer truth over a lie? I mean, in a day of the week, okay, here it is. You go to the doctor's office, um, and doctor's visit, doctor determines uh, cell counts is not right. There's a mask. And you need surgery because here it is. It's that big C word. It's cancer. Ooh, that hurts. The truth of that, that hurts. Would you, I mean, that, I mean if, if you got that news, that, that's hurtful news. That, that's, it's the truth, but it hurts. But wouldn't you prefer to know the truth, though it hurts, because the truth can also help you to heal? Because when you unload with the truth and you're living a life, here it is, that reflects that you're wearing the belt of truth. Yes, it may hurt, but it gives you this sense of serenity deep within because I know that I'm truthful about this. So let me go on. Truth resides in the sovereign. Truth is revealed in the Savior. Truth is recorded in the scriptures, but truth should always be reflected in the saints. The premise of truth. But what's the purpose? Why is truth so necessary? Purpose of truth, twofold, and I'm finished. Here it is, twofold. Truth, from a doctrinal, biblical, theological perspective, truth, first of all, here it is, it enables us to stand against heresy. Truth, truth, from a doctrinal perspective, when, when, you, when you know truth as it is recorded in Scripture, it gives you the capacity, it gives you the ability, it equips you so that you can stand against heresy. Um, Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 4, and he talks about how there will be those who, like little children, will be blown away by every wind and every false doctrine. Here it is. Let me tell you why. Because they have not taken the time for any core training. Core is weak. And so they can't stand. So because, because there's no core training, because there's no core training, because all you want is, is, is pop theology and, and all you want is a quick sermon to make you shout and make you run and make you cry, but nothing that enables you to have some core training where someone can teach you and feed you uh, so that you can become uh, intellectually informed whereby you can defend your faith. So that on Saturday mornings when the Jehovah Witness come knocking on the door messing up your good sleep, you ain't scared. Like, oh yeah, we can talk. Because I know what I believe. And you can rock my world because the average churchgoer, here it is, cannot deal with a 15-minute conversation with a person of a different faith because you don't know what you believe. And here's the problem. They know what you're supposed to believe, but you don't know what you believe. And so they can then shake you in your faith because you are biblically illiterate. But you still want to come to church and shout every Sunday. <laughs> ah. 
here it is, here it is. I got to have truth so I can stand against heresy. In that throughout church history, the devil has always tried to and desire to pervert the truth and confuse believers and corrupt the gospel and change the minds of people about truth. Heretics have arisen throughout the church. False teachings have been propagated throughout the whole church to the extent that the church even during the early times and even now has entered into a state of spiritual confusion, not knowing what we believe in, why we believe it. Even beyond that, with all the hype and excitement with Pope Francis, you still can't even explain why you're a Christian and not a Roman Catholic. Oh, but it's good, it's cute, it's, it's nice. But you, you still cannot fairly articulate why you are a Christian, here it is, of Orthodox Christianity, of the Protestant faith, as opposed to being Roman Catholic. <laughs> the church got quiet. Because you haven't taken the time for core training. And Satan comes against the church with all different types of heresy. Here it is. That sounds good. But it's not in God's word anchored in truth. And so even during the fourth century, church leaders and fathers of the faith came together and developed what is known as a creed. And this creed was, de was designed as it would be utilized as a document to combat against a lot of the heresy that was coming against Orthodox Christianity. And so to develop a creed that is known as the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed identifies some of the carnal truths of the Christian faith whereby we as believers, we hold to. And the Apostles' Creed would oftentimes be quoted during baptism services and oftentimes during communion, or even would be a part of the public reading in the context of congregational worship. And this particular creed, known as the Apostles' Creed, it really highlights in a very abbreviated, cursory fashion the elements of our faith that we hold to. I'm going to ask of you to share with me as we read together the Apostles' Creed. Can we read it together? Here it is. Let's read. One, two, three, read. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, buried, and descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now see right there, right there, the Apostle Creed, there's one line in there that messed some of y'all up. That little one phrase, the Holy Catholic Church. <laughs> Look up the word Catholic as well. Catholic also denotes the universal church. It is not the Roman Catholic Church. It denotes the universal church. The church, here it is, that is not defined by denomination. The Holy Catholic Universal Church. And so this particular creed was designed as it would utilize, as it was utilized to combat 
the heresy that was taking root and infiltrating the church. And so we put on the belt of truth. For what purpose? So we can stand against heresy. Heresy, heresy. You know what you believe and why you believe what you believe, and you can articulate it. First Peter 3.15, that you ought to be ready to give an answer of the reason of hope that lieth within you to anyone that should ask you. As opposed, here it is, to you running from the Jehovah Witness, the Jehovah Witness ought to be running from you. Because you're armed and dangerous. You, you know what you believe and why you believe. Does that make sense? Here it is. So why must I put on the belt of truth so that I can stand against heresy? And second of all, I put on the belt of truth so I can stand in honesty. Truth. Because truth, here it is, it not only defines what I believe, but truth also for the believer defines how I behave. <laughs> I got to put on the belt of truth and I have to put it on. Here it is. Tight. I got the buckle. I got to put it on tight. Let me parenthetically pause at that point because that's a good point of preaching as well. You know, some of y'all need to just do that. You need to take that advice. Put on a belt. Put on a, put on a belt. Put on a belt. Put on, and put it on tight. Walking around. Nobody want to see your tail. Put on a belt. And it's, I'm going I'm, I'm I'm to get back to the points. And I wanna, it's, no, it's nothing more unsophisticated than seeing, I mean, than seeing a grown man walking around. Sean, that's, that's unsophisticated, undignified. I mean, you got no cool points. You look like a lunatic. I ain't scared of you. I ain't scared of you. I'm a grown, I'm a grown man. I ain't scared of you. Put on a belt. Put it on tight. Back to the point. Paul says that we're to put on the belt of truth. Why? So we can stand here it is, not just against heresy, because the devil is going to try to knock us off of our feet with false doctrines, false teachings, with cunningness and craftiness to try to deceive us. He says, but no, put on the belt of truth. Why? So you can stand against heresy. Second of all, so you can stand in honesty. Whereby, in having your lawns girded about with truth, you have cultivated a life of truthfulness, Sincerity of heart and sincerity of mind, transparent honesty. There's a removal of hypocrisy, and you're no longer living a life of duplicity. Duplicity, what do you mean? That there's a church you, and there's a real you. And the real you is nothing like the church you. Church you, you, you got all the religious talk down, all that wonderful stuff, but the real you, you'll cut somebody out. Church, you real you. And here is what Paul is saying, that you got to put on the belt of truth so that there is no duplicity and hypocrisy. That you're the same here as you would be anywhere else. He says, you got to put this belt on. Here it is. First, buckle it. Put it on tight because the devil is going to try you. Here it is as it relates to your integrity. Here is what David says about the importance of truth. And integrity, it is right there in Psalms 51, verse 6. He says, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden parts, you will make me to know wisdom. In that hypocrisy and duplicity, 
will always result in dishonesty. Dishonesty with ourselves, with others, and ultimately with God. Hypocrisy and duplicity will always dismantle integrity to the extent that no one would take you as being truthful. Paul, he says, put on the belt of truth so that you can stand against heresy. But so you can stand, second of all, with honesty. Truth. And you do realize that before the close of this day, something is going to pop off that's going to challenge you with this area of truth. Something's going to pop off. Yeah, something's going to pop off. Somebody's going to say something, do something. And you're going to be like, let me take this belt off real quick. Let me... <laughs> take this belt off because I'm about to give you a piece of my mind. That's why Paul says, no, put it on, put it on, and put it on tight. Because the devil is going to always challenge you. Here it is. Here it is in two ways. In what you believe, he's going to challenge you. Here it is, number two, in how you behave. Rest assured, I'm telling you today, something's going to pop off, for real. I don't know when, I don't know how, it's going to pop off. And that's when you got to say, oh, pastor told me this, pastor told me this, pastor told me you was going to show up. And I'm going to keep this belt on, because if I take this belt off, it's going to be on and popping. Keep this bet on. In ancient times, potters would make different vessels and vases out of clay and would shape them into all different types of formations. Those vessels, those vases would be placed within the oven as it would be baked under intense heat. After which removed, then they would paint the vases again, place them back into the oven so that it would bake and be cured, what is it, as it's defined. But oftentimes you would find what is known as an insincere potter who would take a vase that would have cracks in it, defects in it, That potter would get some hot wax and would begin to fill in all the cracks with the hot wax and would cut off the excess and remove it and would put that vase on the shelf as if it was a pristine vase to be sold. But a conscientious customer would come in and would know how to identify if it was a quality vase or vessel or not. How? They would take that vase, they would go outside and lift it up towards the sun. And as they would lift that vase up towards the sun, here it is, if they were able to see light coming through the cracks because of the wax, that vase, that vessel was defined as insincere which simply means here it is full of wax 
the etymological meaning of the word insincere, it means full of wax, full of wax, full of wax. Think about it. What if God was to take your life, my life, and lift it up, not to the S-U-N, but to the S-O-N of God, to the Son of God? Would he have to say, you're insincere, you're full of wax? Or could God say, you got some kinks, you got some shortcomings, but you're still an honorable vessel, here it is, because you're sincere. God says, as opposed to you're trying to fill the cranks of your life, let me do it. Because when I do it, I do all things well. So as we prepare to leave this place today, touch a bit session right now. Say, I got to wear the belt of truth. Got to wear it, I got to wear it. And how do I do it? How do I do it? Here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. That very moment when someone is trying to pull you out of character or you find yourself slipping to the flesh, just say, oh, no, 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 no. I got to stand with integrity. And even when you blow it, because you're not perfect, make amends swiftly. Say, God, listen. <laughs> I messed around. I took the belt off today. And they got the best of me. Would you forgive me? And cleanse me. And the person that you offended, ask them to do the same. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today, for how powerful and practical your word is. We thank you for how the object lesson of a belt today in the armor has helped us to see the importance of standing in truth, in poor truth. We recognize, God, that you are the God of truth. That there is no shadow of turning in thee. You're unchanging. Your works are perfect. You're just. You're upright. There's no iniquity in you. You are the God of truth. And even as it relates to the word, help us now to take serious the importance of core training. As we grow in our faith and as we become defenders of the faith. Sharpen our minds. To the extent that we can defend what we believe and explain why we believe what we believe. When the enemy comes with all different winds of doctrines, gales to blow us away, may we stand firm. And from a practical perspective, Father, help us to be Christians who are truthful and honest, men and women of integrity. Oh yes, we've all have missed the mark in some respect, in some regard. And so we ask of you now to forgive us 
as we now adorn ourselves with the belt of truth. And now, Father, I pray for those individuals, that person, or persons in this place today who have not made a decision to accept your Son as Lord and Savior and identify as the way, the truth, and the life. I pray, Father, that they'll walk in faith and not in fear. That person who's looking for a church home, lead them and guide them. That person who desires to be identified with you by way of water baptism, may they walk as well in faith. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.